Let us come together for prayer. Lord, I just want to lift up today to you. I want to thank you for the time we've been able to worship uh, through song. And Lord, I pray that our, the cry of our life would be to just follow Christ alone and no one else. That we will stand in the name of Christ. And today, as we are able to start a new year and able to just be here together, I just pray that you would uh, guide our time, enlighten us as we look to your word, Lord, that you would show us the changes that need to be made possibly, Lord, the encouragement that we might need for today. Lord, I pray that you would show us what you would have for us to need to hear today and that we would apply those things to our lives and we would walk out of here different than how we walked in. And I pray that that would be the case as we follow you, as we look to you, and we can boldly say as we leave that in Christ alone is where we'll stand. And I pray that that would be the cry of our hearts this morning. And I pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Junior church and tattle time. Yeah, you may be dismissed. And all right. Well, good morning. That didn't sound very convincing. Good morning. Okay. I know it's cold and the snow is out finally, uh, but it, yeah, some people are excited. All right. With yeah. Wow. I guess I can be done preaching now. I'm, that was good. That was a good response. No, that was, um, <clears throat> I'm, I hope and, and trust that your holiday season was great, your Christmas, and then now your New Year's weekend was great. And it's a great opportunity again, and I always love the opportunity to be up here to be able to share God's Word with, with everyone here. And I just, I'm so thankful for this opportunity. And today, as it is the first Sunday of 2016, uh, it is a new year, and many of you brought in the new year this weekend in various different ways uh, with family, and, and maybe you went bowling, whatever you may have done to bring in the new year. And uh, perhaps today uh, <clears throat> you're living a new life in the sense that you have made some resolutions. You've made some New Year's resolutions in your life. Um, maybe you're sitting here and you have. But I, I'll tell you this um, people make resolutions all the time, but I think all of us pretty much know the truth, and that is that. A lot of people make resolutions, but they don't necessarily stick to them. A lot of people join gyms, and they may work out for the first couple weeks, sign up for a year membership, and then never go back. Okay, this is a typical thing. I know there's been resolutions that I've made, and a resolution is, you know, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to make a difference. I mean, that's kind of the idea. And I know I've gone through so many, and I've failed. Uh, some of the most popular New Year's resolutions that you might find, some of you would probably even know these, maybe you've made these resolutions in the past. Uh, the number one, this is from 2015, they don't have a list out for this year yet. Top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2015. First one, lose weight. I think that's one that a lot of people understand. Uh, the, next, the next one is get organized. Interesting there. Uh, number three has to do with money. Spend less money, save more money, be a better money manager. The fourth most popular resolution is to enjoy life to the fullest. Now, that's not very specific, but I guess people just want to enjoy life to the fullest. The fifth one is staying fit and healthy, kind of similar to the first one. Uh, number six, learn something new and exciting. Uh, maybe that's your resolution this year. Number seven is quit smoking. Uh, that's, that's a big one. A lot of people say they're going to quit smoking. Uh, number eight, help others achieve their dreams. Very selfless there. You know, help others achieve, achieve their dreams. Nine, fall in love. I'm going to be resolved to fall in love. That's an interesting one. Like, you have, yeah, but you know. 
You can, you can script that out, apparently. So fall in love is number nine. Number ten is very nice. Spend more time with family. So those are the top ten resolutions for 2015. Now, I've looked at several different figures as far as statistics go, and I really like statistics. I don't know. I, I liked math, believe it or not, Dale. So, you know, I, thanks. Um, and uh, I love statistics, and I found there was one statistic that seemed to come up time and time again that was pretty accurate, and that is this. They've done research, and they found that the percentage of people who actually accomplish their New Year's resolutions, that they set out and they say, I'm going to do this one thing, and they actually do it by the end of the year, is a staggering 8%. 8 out of 100 people actually do what they say they're going to do. And I would dare say that most of us at one point in our life have probably been in the other 92% uh, of the ones that have said we're going to do something and don't. And maybe not. Maybe you're part of that 8% every year, and that's great for you. Maybe you don't make resolutions. And I'm not here to say that you have to make resolutions. Actually, by the end of the sermon today, I'm kind of hoping that all of us will walk out here and we'll be done with resolutions and we'll actually set our hearts on something much better than making New Year's resolutions. So many people fail at their resolutions, and there's probably lots of reasons. I think it narrows down to a couple. Uh, Really, when we try to make a resolution, like even the one that says help others achieve their dreams, it seems selfless and, and when you say that, but... Really, the, pe- the reason you want to do that is not only to help other people, but you want to feel good about yourself. And a lot of times, resolutions are all about me. It's, I'm going to lose weight so I can look better, so that I can feel better. I'm going to be more healthy so that I can look better and feel better. I'm going to stop smoking because it's going to make me more healthy. And all these things are true. I'm going to spend less and save more because I want to have more money to use at some point. But the idea behind all those resolutions, in most cases, is it's all about us. It's all about me. It becomes kind of a selfish type of thing, and we forget to rely on God, and we start to rely on ourselves. We rely on our gym membership, for instance. We rely on a diet. We rely on these different things, which is all things that we try to do in our own strength. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, and any of these resolutions necessarily are wrong. I, I think those are good to want to make changes in your life, but I want us to think bigger. I want us to think broader. I want us to think in a much bigger way in how God thinks about resolutions, how he thinks about change. And so today I want to make this proposition that God doesn't want a resolution today. He doesn't want a resolution. What he wants is for us to have a revolution. You change one letter from S to V and it makes all the difference from resolution to revolution. And today we're going to unpack that. And I hope that by the end of our time looking at God's word, we'll see that God wants a revolution in our lives and a revolution that doesn't just come and go, and a revolution that doesn't just get worked out 8% of the time, but a revolution that changes everything we are and for all time as we look at our changed lives. We look at the definition of revolution according to Webster's Dictionary. The definition of revolution is very interesting. Now, there's several. There's like three or four. You know, some apply to one country overthrowing another country, and, and another one is, you know, something going around something. Those are some definitions for revolution. But one of the definitions, and the one I want to focus on today of revolution, is this. A sudden, extreme, or complete change in the way people live. A revolution. A sudden, extreme, or complete change in the way people live. You see, God is interested in revolution. He's interested in your revolution. He's interested in my revolution. He's interested in our revolution as a church. And that is complete change. God isn't interested in just picking one thing in our life and deciding that we're going to 
selfishly go for that. I'm not saying that's always bad to, to go for goals. He wants us to have goals, but he wants so much more. He wants a complete change. He wants us to be completely different. And that is his call throughout all time, that we would know God and that would change us completely. So today, that's what we're going to take our time to look at. In order to understand what God is looking for, we're going to look at Scripture today to see three things. We're going to see the means, the method, and the mark of a revolution. And yeah, you'll notice I used alliteration. I love it because I also like English. So I like some, uh, some things here. But um, when we think about this, it's so much more than just the words that we're going to say. But it's, we're going to God's Word. We're going to look at what He has to say about a revolution. And we're going to start with looking at the means of a revolution, how a revolution even can come about, how a real revolution will come about in our lives. So the means of revolution, as you look at your, as your outline here, the means of revolution is, this should be pretty simple. We're in church today, and this would be where the Sunday school answer would be correct. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only means of achieving a true revolution. The only way that you can truly be completely changed beyond any shadow of a doubt. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is where revolution comes from. The true revolution can only take place through the person and the, sorry, and the work of Jesus Christ. So let's start by going uh, to our first passage this morning, and it's going to be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us a lot about change as we look at this idea of revolution and having a complete change of our lives. And we see that Jesus Christ is the one that causes this change. So if you go to 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 17 is where we're going to be this morning. In 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 17, this is what we read. And he, talking about Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer for themselves live, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. This would be the, the key theme verse for this morning, is this idea that Jesus Christ, those who are in Christ, will have a complete revolution. They will have a change. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can live for him instead of live for ourselves. Because he died and rose again for us, we can have a new direction in life. And that direction that we can now have is that we can quit worrying about all our selfish desires and living for what we want. And instead, we have this opportunity to live for what God wants. Now, on the surface, some of you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound that great. Because I know God is just a God of rules and he's going to make my life no fun. Actually, if you look at Scripture and you really lean on God, you know what? God will give you the truest pleasure that you will ever experience. I would encourage you to read books like Desiring God by, like, by John Piper, and it talks about how God and following Him and the fact that He has given us the opportunity to live for Him instead of ourselves is not a curse or it's not something that's going to be a, a terrible thing to do. Actually, it's the exact opposite. It's giving us true life to the fullest measure we can possibly have it. So we see that through his death and resurrection, now we can live for him. That's an incredible thing. As we continue on in verse 17, we see ultimate change. Those who accept Jesus Christ are new creations. They are a new creation. Everything changes. 
This isn't just bits and pieces. It's not like when we get saved that one part of our life might change, but the rest will stay the same. This is a complete and utter transformation. This is a revolution. Jesus Christ brings revolution in our lives. That when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we come to Him and we give our lives to Him, when we do that, we become a new creation. Now notice it doesn't say here that we will start to become a new creation. It doesn't say that you'll have to, you have to try to become a new uh, creation. It says once we are in Christ, we are a new creation. So today, I don't want to tell us that we need to make sure that we are um, trying to become something new. The fact of the matter is we already are. What we need to do is claim that. Claim that we are already new in Christ and claim that for ourselves and know that since we are new, now we don't have to live for ourselves, but we can live for him. And that's the first point we see here as we talk about Jesus Christ being the means of revolution. revolution. Romans 6 also talks about this. Romans chapter 6, if you want to turn over there with me real quickly. In Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4, and many times these verses are read when we do a baptism. Many times you may have heard these verses we've talked about baptism. But the meaning behind these four verses, that it points us to the revolution that can only come through Jesus Christ. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall it be that we who died to sin should live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, and that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This passage is talking about the same thing we just saw in 2 Corinthians. That through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have died to sin and we have been brought into a new life. Christ's death allows us to be free from a life of sin. And through Christ, we can have a new life. Not, an old, not the old life that we once had to live, but we can live a truly new life because he died, he rose again, we've accepted him, and when we do that, we die to sin. See, we don't have an excuse any longer to be slaves of sin. We should live a life that is apart from sin. Not that we're going to not make mistakes, but that we're going to make sure that our lifestyle is constantly running away instead of towards the sin that, so, that used to enslave us. And now we can live a new life, a new life that says, I'm going to live for God, going back to Second Corinthians, a life not for ourselves, but a life for Jesus. So that's our first point here is revolution can only occur through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. True change, a new creation is made through his death, through his resurrection, through who he was, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where new life comes from. We're not going to find new life by pursuing it on our own because we're just going to fail time and time again. Jesus Christ is the only means to have true revolution in our lives. Later on, we'll look at that, what that might mean for you today. But as we move on from the means of revolution, while Jesus was the only means of the revolution, there is also a method that I want to look at today, a method of how this revolution takes place. And the method of revolution is this. It's sacrifice. The method of revolution, how we experience. So Jesus gives us the power to have a new life, but how does that actually work out? What is the method? What do we have to go through? What do we have to do? What is it that's required here in order to really experience true change and true revolution? <clears throat> While revolution is a result of Christ's sacrifice, it's required, it requires ours as well. It's not only about Jesus' sacrifice, that's where it starts, but 
God calls us to sacrifice ourselves. And that's what I want to look at for the next few minutes as we look at the method of revolution. And we are going to start here uh, with Galatians 2.20. And a lot of these passages we're looking at today, I'm sure many of you have read, many of you have heard, many of you have maybe even taught. But even though we may be familiar with a lot of these passages, let's not lose the power behind them. So when we go to Galatians chapter 2, many times this has been quoted, but I really want to take the time to think about what it means for us as when it re- comes to this idea of creating a revolution in our lives. So Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 and 21. And this is where we read Paul says this. And I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Christ has given his life for us. We see this in this passage. It says that Christ has given his life for us. And so because of that, we must share in his death. We must also be crucified. Now, this is not talking in a physical sense. This is not saying, because Paul is not saying he actually was literally being crucified here. The idea is that we are being uh, we are dying to our old self and rising to our new self. Sounds familiar from what we just read in Romans and what we read in 2 Corinthians. The same idea is actually come, is being continued here. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I am required to die to myself as Jesus is crucified. And what's the purpose of all that? Well, Christ has given us life for us and so we must share in his death and we must, not, we must give up our own lives for him to live through us. In other words, if we want Jesus to live through our lives and live that new life and make us that new creation that we are, for, in order for that to happen, we've got to sacrifice ourselves so that Christ can move in. Does that make sense? We need to get ourselves out of the way so that Christ can be there. And as we talk about this, this is the method. Sacrifice is required. And sacrifice, once again, sounds like a bad word. It sounds like it's a painful word. And yes, sometimes it might be painful. But in the end, the result of a new life in Christ is well worth the sacrifice. And you say, well, okay, I kind of see that point, but I'm not sure if it's really that, I don't know if it's really that clear. Well, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Another very familiar verse that many of you know. A lot of you probably have memorized this verse. In Romans chapter 12, looking at the first two verses. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now the, the chapter continues, and I would encourage you, we don't have the time this morning to read the whole chapter, but this whole chapter really talks about what this sacrifice looks like. You see, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we are told this. We are to give ourselves up to God as a sacrifice. We are to give ourselves up to God as worship, as a sacrifice that leads to worship. See, sacrificing ourselves is one way to worship God. That is the main way. Everything we do to worship God is putting us behind and putting Christ in front. And that is the idea here as we look at Romans chapter 12. We must stop thinking like the world and devote ourselves to love and service. When it says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's change, right? Transform. That's another word for change. 
You want to experience revolution. You want to experience true change. Well, we look at this and it says, be renewed in your mind. It's to change your way of thinking, to think about the things of Christ and not the things of this world. And we're called not to be conformed, to be different, to be changed from the world and what we once were, and instead to live for him and to be renewed in our mind. Chapter 12 of Romans continues on. It has a passage about spiritual gifts and and how to use gifts and how to serve one another. And we see that. And there's a whole passage. And then it goes into talking about loving one another and what Christian love is meant to look like. You see, renewing our mind is to be setting ourselves, our minds on the things of Christ, which is service and love for his body. We serve others. We love him. We love others. Those are the things that we are called to. That is not the things that the world is called to. The world serves themselves, selfish, sin, all those things that we see in the world. But we need to renew our minds, change our minds as we want to be transformed, as we want to be different, as we want to be new. We must devote ourselves to love and service. This is the call. This is to sacrifice ourselves, to give up ourselves to love and to service for others and for God himself. That is what sacrifice is, and it leads to this new transformation of our heart and of our life. You see, Christ sacrificed for us, going back to Galatians 2 in a sense, Christ sacrificed us, so now we sacrifice for him. I have a bumper, or not a bumper, a license plate holder. I haven't put it on the van yet, but it's one of my favorite phrases, and it's simply, he died for us, so I'll live for him. But you know, the truth of the matter is, is that is very true, but he died for us so that we could die to ourselves so that we could live for him. There's a little bit that's missing there. We need to sacrifice as he has sacrificed for us. So finally, we see that Jesus is the means to revolution, but the method is sacrifice, that we give up ourselves and we allow him to work in us. But now finally, uh, both of these things lead to the mark of a revolution. Now, a mark of a revolution is the goal. It's what, if you look at it, you see what makes it a revolution. You look at like the American Revolution. If we would have had the American Revolution and yet um, the only thing that changed was that we may have had a, a say in the government, but we were still under British rule, that is not a complete revolution. The mark of the revolution is the fact that we stand here today as a free country and that we, ha- we have our own country. The revolution was completed. Well, what is the mark of a completed revolution in our lives as Christians? Well, it's pretty simple, and it's kind of going back, and it's kind of a summary of what we've been saying. The mark of a revolution is complete change. It's complete change. It's not partial. It's not tiny. It's not one piece here and one piece there. I mean, it is a process. I'm not saying it's all going to happen overnight and you're never going to have a struggle. But the idea is, is God wants complete change, that our lives will be completely different from the world. We won't dabble in the world and then dabble with Christ and kind of try to mix the two. That's not what he's asking. He's asking for complete sacrifice. He's asking for complete change. And we see that in Scripture. We see that in Scripture. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll be here for a little while in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 17 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And I want us to listen to this passage as, as I read it and really comprehend what Christ is teaching us, what we're being taught here through the Word of God. Ephesians four seventeen through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. 
if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the, to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." The next few passages give us specific ways that we can put off what once was and put on what now should be. And this is so clear of what God expects. God's calling is that we are different completely from the sinful world that's around us and from the sinful world that we were once a part of. And he calls us to complete difference, that we are different, that we are completely changed from the world. Says here in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, our new mindset should be to get rid of sin and to get rid of selfishness and instead replace it with the righteousness and holiness that we only have through Christ. It's not only enough to say I'm done with sin, but it's to replace that sin with service for God, with love for God, with that sacrifice we've talked about. You see, so many of these resolutions that are made, it's like I'm going to give up something. Well, you know what? If you don't replace it with anything, if you don't replace whatever habit you're trying to break with something else that's a good habit, then you're probably going to go right back to that bad habit. Well, in a very real sense, that's how Jesus is, that's how our life with Jesus is. You know, when we want to sacrifice and we give up things, we've got to replace it with things that he gives us. If we just, if we leave a vacuum there, then sin is just going to come back in and take over. So we need to put off the old man, say no to all the lusts that were before, and say let's get away from the old man and let's live in the new man, the new man that only comes as a result of God. That's what we're told here. Once again, the means of this whole change is Jesus Christ. It goes back to that. God gives us the change, and we need to live in that new life, that new man, and put away the old man. We need to be different. We need to live for Christ and not for the world. And then one more passage that gives us even more clarity on this is Titus Chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. And I want to take some time and look at that as well. This is such a powerful passage, and I love this passage as we read it. In, in Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it continues and says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all lawless deeds and purify for us for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. How powerful is this passage as we look at what he's called us to do? And first of all, it says, The grace of God has appeared for what reason? Well, it's to teach us that we need to deny ungodliness, worldly lusts, that instead we should put away all the sin and we should put away all the worldly lust, the sinful desires that surround us, and instead live a God-glorifying life. Live a life that reflects God himself. That's what we're told here in Titus. Titus is telling us, uh, God is telling us through his word to deny the sinful desires and to live a God-glorifying life instead. And what is part of the reason for that is it goes on in verse 14. says the reason that we can understand this is that Christ gave himself for us. The reason that we can deny ungodliness and instead live for God isn't because of our own strength. It's because Christ came to die for us. And not only did he die for us in 14, it says it goes on. And it says that not only did he die for us, but that he made us his own special people. God has changed us to be his special people who do his works. 
God has done the work. He has made us into who he wants us to be, and he's asking us just to follow him and do what he's already prepared for us to do. That's the simple truth that we see here in this passage. Titus 2 tells us to give up the life of living in for sin and instead live for God through his strength, through his death, through what Jesus has done, through the fact that he has made us his own special people, that he has made us able to do good works. This is where revolution comes from. The means of revolution goes back to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We cannot have lasting, complete change if we try to do it on our own and we, we ignore Christ. It can't happen. And also, but in the process of, of knowing that Christ is the one that leads us to revolution, there's also this idea of the method that we need to sacrifice ourselves and let him come in and where we take ourselves off the throne and we put him on the throne. And that is important because Jesus died for us. He, he was crucified for us. He wants us to be, have complete change, but he wants to be in our lives to be that change. And finally, the mark of a revolution. What does a revolution really look like in your life, and my life, and all of our lives? The mark of a revolution is complete change. Not dabbling still in the world, dabbling in sin, and being ensnared by sin still, and, and not knowing how to, how to handle uh, living outside of sin. It's to be a nif- different person. It's to be new. It's to be living every day as if we can try our hardest not to fall into that sin. Like I said before, this isn't about perfection. This is about simply striving towards a life of purity instead of striving towards a life of sin. So we see these things in revolution. So this year I want to say this. This year let's be more concerned about living out the revolution that Christ wants to have in our lives instead of making resolutions. Instead of making resolutions, let's live out the revolution that Christ has already given us in the sense if we've followed him, if we've come to know him. You know, it's interesting, as I read this list earlier, the top 10 New Year's resolutions, and uh, I wasn't going to do this at first, but it kind of came to me as I was reading these, like a lot of these 10 things, and probably all these 10 things, you know what, if we are focused on being completely changed for Jesus Christ, a lot of these things are going to follow behind. I mean, lose weight, you know, it's not about a number, but it goes with the staying fit and healthy. You know, if we're really treating our bodies like the temple of God, the way that we are, then hopefully we'll see as we commit ourselves to Jesus, as we are committed to him and we surrender ourselves, that we will see that happen. Getting organized, it's about prioritizing our life. Uh, What better priority do we have than Jesus? Uh, Spend less, save more. Same thing, it's an issue of priorities. When Jesus is our priority, everything else will fall in line. And there's so many more, we could go through this whole list. But the idea here is that Jesus gives us complete change. He is the one that we need to look to. In the new year, in 2016, let's not look and see what little things we can change about our lives. Let us not try to make resolutions that most of us are going to fail in. But instead, let's claim the revolution that Christ has given us through his death and resurrection and the fact that he has given himself for us. Let us claim that revolution by sacrificing ourselves. So there's three groups here today that I want to address before we close. Uh, The first one is this group that I, I know many of you are here and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are a Christian, you know him, you love him, and you serve him, and you are living your life for Christ. And you know what? You know you know him. I want to encourage you today to continue to live a changed life. You know, we are changed, but let's not just get lax or lazy about it. Let's continue to live a changed life. But knowing that we can't take the credit. In Philippians 2, 12 through 13, it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you 
to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. An interesting passage here, because what it basically tells is we need to still strive to live in the change that Christ has already given us, but in striving for that change, in striving for living a saved life, a life of salvation, as we strive to continue to do that, remember that it still is all about him, that he's the one that gives all power, all strength. He is the one that works in us. So it's very interesting as we read this passage, because you have this idea of God wants us to strive. But at the same time, remember that even though we strive, it is God doing the work. Very interesting as we look at that passage. So if you're here today and you've given your life to Christ, don't get lazy, don't sit back. Continue to strive. Continue to live that changed life and continue to rely on God to continue to change even the parts that still might need to be changed. A complete revolution. A revolution doesn't end. It continues on. So continue to be changed. Second group I want to address real quickly today is uh, those who are here that maybe you've sit in, you've come and you sit in church every Sunday and you call yourself a Christian and honestly some of you may even believe that you are a Christian you believe in Jesus but you know what you've never experienced a true revolution like you're looking back at your life and you're like I come to church and I know I say I believe in Jesus but my life is no different than the world around me as I look next to me and as I look around to my friends and my family that don't know Jesus. I don't look any different. I have not experienced a complete revolution. I have not become a new creature. Well, here's what I want to say to you. You need to consider whether you are really a follower of Christ or if you're just a fake at this point. And I know that sounds harsh, but this is for your sake that you understand if you really are in Christ. And if you really are in Christ, you will be a new creation. And if you look at your life and you don't see any change, you don't see any revolution, then you need to really consider where your relationship with Jesus Christ is at. And maybe today is the day that you can repent and call upon him to change you, to give you a revolution, to make you that new creation that he's promised. It's interesting in Matthew 7, and Pastor John quotes this many times, and it's a powerful passage. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, this is Jesus talking, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These are people that called Christ Lord. And they did things that looked really good on the outside, but you know what? They never had a complete and real heart change. They never experienced real revolution. Same, very similar passage in Matthew 15, 8, and it's quoting the Old Testament, but it says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. My fear is that many of us have been there and maybe are there right now, where we say that we love Christ, where we say all the right things. We may even do a lot of the right things, but you know what? Our hearts Maybe your heart is really far from God. You haven't experienced revolution. You don't know what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, today, make it the day that you repent of all of that and you give him your life completely. You completely surrender, as we've been talking about. Surrender your life so that you can experience the change that he offers. Make today the day that you do that. And finally, there may be a group here today that, you know what, you know you have not experienced a revolution You have not experienced what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be here today and you still have a lot of questions. You don't even understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. Well, I want to call out to you today and say, you know what? Christ offers transformation from the life you're living in. Whatever life you have right now, the sin that is ensnaring you, the bad things that you keep doing, even though I know deep down you don't even necessarily want to do, if God is calling you out of that, he wants to give you a revolution. He wants to change your life. He doesn't want you to wallow in sin anymore. He doesn't want you to feel like that's the only place you can go. 
no matter where you've been, no matter where you are right now, Christ calls out to you and wants you to know him because if, he, if you know him, you will be changed. And through being changed, then he can live through you. And I'm, like I said earlier, there is nothing greater than this. God is not looking for people to f- obey rules. He is looking for people who want to live for him and live in him. And when we do that, when he lives in us, it's an incredible opportunity to experience life in a way that you can never, ever imagine. Life might get tough. There would be tough times, but Jesus is always there. He is always there to, to be with you, to walk with you, to allow you to change and to continue to live for him. The gospel is pretty simple if we look at the, as we look back. It, Jesus doesn't expect you to have to jump through a bunch of hoops to come to know him. Jesus came to the earth as a perfect man. He lived a perfect life. And God comes to earth. He lives a perfect life. Then what do we see him do? He, he teaches us all about himself. and He teaches us about who God is. Then he gives his life on the cross. He died for us. And he died for all of our sins. And we've looked at this all day. He died so that we don't have to. So that even though we deserve death because all of sin the bible says that very clearly everybody's done something that is against god's will you've said i'm going to do things my way and not god's way when we've done that that sin needs a punishment and christ took that punishment on himself when he died on the cross but it didn't end there he rose again the third day and some of you may know this story well but jesus rises again on the third day and he says you know what death and sin doesn't have any power Come to me and you can be changed because I have defeated sin and I have defeated death. And Jesus shows that through his resurrection. And now what he says, he calls out to people and he says, come follow me. Believe in me. Believe in who I am. Believe in what I've done and follow me. And if you're willing to do that today, make today the day that you follow Christ and experience true revolution. This year, 2016, right now, the first Sunday of the year, make it the day that you Throw away resolutions, but instead make a revolution. So my call out to all of us today is let's make sure we continue to live in the revolution and not just settle for mere resolutions. So my final thought is we're about to go into communion. As we go into communion, we have an opportunity to remember the death of Christ this morning. I want us to remember that all that we've talked about, Jesus didn't just die to save us. Yes, that's a big part of it. But really, as we look at Scripture, he died to change us. He died to save and to change. And he wants you to be changed. And he wants us to continue to live a life of change. So today, just take, a, take some time and think about it for yourselves. Are you really living in the revolution? And, I wanna, and I'm going to say this too. As we take communion, um, if there's anybody here that does not know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, you don't know what revolution means, or maybe you've said you do have a relationship with him, but you know you've really never been changed and you want to talk more about that or know more about that, during communion, I'm just going to be in the back, just back in the foyer. If anybody wants to talk to me, feel free to go back and, and I'll be there. I, I wouldn't hate for anybody to leave here today without knowing Jesus Christ, without having him be part of their lives and without him changing them completely. And if that's you, please feel free to come back and talk. And... Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm just going to close in a quick word of prayer and then John's going to come forward and uh, we'll partake in communion. Lord, I do thank you for this uh, time. I thank you for your word. And I just thank you that you have changed us, that those of us who have come to you and you, are, you have saved us, you have also changed us. And I thank you for that. And I pray today that each and every one of us would examine our lives and, and what is it that you would want to change in us and Lord, that we would continue to have the revolution that you've called us to that we would have complete change in our lives as we look to you in each and every aspect. 
I thank you again for all that you've done in our lives. And I pray that today you might even continue that work with some who are here that may be questioning or wondering or needing to know you. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts right now. And I pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.